Hey guys, welcome to a new episode of Sauce of the Scary. Derek Zoo, Jeff Wright here with you this week. Going to be talking about the newest, I don't know, Jeff, what do we call this thing, man? We call it a horror movie? Do we call it a comic book movie? Do we call it some kind of amalgamation of the both? Well, I mean, maybe this just gets into our read on the film. I thought this was a legit scary movie. Yeah. So I'm happy to call it a horror movie playing off comic book tropes. Uh, but either one of those labels fits. I mean, there's been no comic books made yet about Brightburn, but I bet there will be. Yeah, I would imagine so as well. And, of course, that is what we're talking about today. We're talking about Brightburn. So um, I know we got a lot to talk about this week, so I'm not going to dilly nor dally. I do want to say this, though. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for um, always coming in and supporting the show. You can do that in several different ways. Uh, the first one would be to rate, review, subscribe, uh, wherever you get your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Stitcher, SoundCloud, um, YouTube, uh, JDate, wherever you're swiping right, swipe right on us. And we would love to have you uh, give us those coveted five-star reviews. Um, also, you can join the Facebook group at We Saw Something Scary on Facebook. And that way you're connected to us. Uh, and that is actually the best way to really talk to Jeff or myself is through that Facebook group. Uh, Jeff and I, and um, along with a core group of others, deliver content to that group darn near daily. So uh, join and be a part of that. And then also, if you would be so kind, we do have a Patreon campaign at patreon.com forward slash scary podcast. And you can join us on there. There's four different tiers that range from a, from from a buck to 10 bucks. I'm uh, not trying to break the bank, just, <clears throat> excuse me, just trying to pay some bills. So help us out there if you are so inclined. All right, man. Uh, I don't really have any trailers this week. I apologize for that, but let's just go ahead and hop into the. This week, All right, dude, there's a couple things to throw at you for uh, for this segment. Some more important, some less so. So let's move in order of importance. Uh, right. The the least important is this Netflix movie called The Perfection. Is this on yeah, your radar? Yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. So the New York Post is reporting on it, which is always interesting. But they're reporting on it in the sense that it's actually making people nauseous when they watch it. Mm-hmm. So I guess Allison Williams is in it. She plays yeah. Charlotte. Uh, she's an elite cellist who travels to Shanghai for a music competition. Uh, but apparently there's like uh, barfing scenes and maggots being crawling around and stuff and diarrhea, uh, bug infestations. Anyway, apparently it's a Twitter thing to get on and say, hey, this this movie made us sick. Yep. Are you interested in this? I was until then. Yeah. I, I mean, Allison Williams is, is talented. Yeah. So, you know, I, I didn't watch her in Girls, but my kids love her portrayal of Peter uh, Pan. And yeah. it's on quite a bit um, with the Wright household. I, I don't understand this kind of movie. Like, I mean, I, I'm on the record for being like, I'm not into torture stuff. I'm not into gratuitous gore. I get that there are people who are. It's just not my jam. Right. But I super don't understand the appeal of a movie that's actually going to make me sick. Yeah, I, I agree, man. So we talked about this movie uh, a few weeks, months ago. I, I mean, time obviously just runs together anymore. Uh, and Jeff H. Trailers. And I saw the trailer for this and I was like, oh, dang, I need I'm going to watch that movie. That movie looks 
that movie looks fascinating. And of course, I'm going to have to soft spot for Allison Williams because of what she did with um, um, Get Out. Sure. Then I started reading reviews for it last week and started reading about the diarrhea and the and the maggots and the vomit and all that stuff. And there's actually there's actually one part of the trailer or a trailer. I don't think it was the one I saw originally, but I, I went back and watched another trailer and there was one where it shows her vomiting the spiders, I believe. And yeah, I don't understand why we need that. Um, now I have been told that this movie has the most crazy ending ever. Uh, I, I mean, obviously with the most tongue-in-cheek, hyperbolic sense of the words, but that is it's well worth watching if you can get past that scene. Huh? Okay. Well, I can't, and I ain't gonna. I, I tell you what, Jeff, I may try to attempt it okay. just so that we can talk about it. All right. Um, I I'm not going to. I'm not going to make any promises. I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to say that it's going to happen uh, this week. Uh, matter of fact, it probably won't happen this week. This week's going to be crazy busy for me. But I'm going to try to sit down one day and watch it. And when I do, I will make a special appearance on the Horror Reporter to give you a firsthand look at it. Thank you, sir. So, in addition to that, as a as an appeal to our listeners, again, I, I've mentioned there's there's certain kinds of horror that just does not appeal to me. I get why some people find body horror really terrifying. If you're the kind of person who one gets excited when you hear a description like this of perfection and and like, oh, dude, I definitely got to watch it now. Could you just reach out again? I, I'm not trying to pick a fight here. I really want to know. I need I need to be educated. What is it about that kind of description that you're like, oh, dude, sweet, I got to watch this movie now? Yeah. And then number two, if you're some Someone who watched this movie had it gross you out and made you sick the way that uh, a lot of the Twitter users that the New York Post is documenting um, describe for of their experience. And then you finish the movie. Can you just walk me through that too? Again, no condescension. There's no subtext here. I just want to know. I feel like I'm talking like cultural anthropology here. It is mm-hmm. totally foreign to my mind and my experience. So just just reach out and help me understand. Uh, we're obviously uh, readily available at the We saw something scary Facebook group. You can email us, saw something scary at gmail.com, scary podcast on Twitter, getting our DMs, whatever. I just want to hear because I need to know, I need to learn, I need to grow, and uh, you can help me do that. So please do. Yeah, I'm all for it too. Uh, and like I said, I'm, I'm going to try to attempt it, and I will, you know, I'll. I'll keep you uh, in the real time. I'll text you and let you know what's going on. But for the the rest of you guys, I will report back as soon as I get done watching it. Please do. Thank you, sir. Uh, moving up the scale of importance, we got news that Andre Overdahl will be the next person involved in the continuing Stephen King renaissance. Yeah. This time he is adapting fresh material. Uh, I say fresh material in the sense of like there's been no movie made uh, from, from this novel, yet it is The Long Walk which is a Stephen King novel that I have not read. But um, in in shades of our beloved Mike Flanagan adapting Gerald's Game, um, uh, a book that people thought could not be adapted, uh, there a lot of people online have said the long walk could could never be made into a movie because, uh, in part, it involves a bunch of long walks. Yeah. Are you familiar with the with the book? Uh, I am not, sir. But I, I want to say that our own Tony Carr said something similar to that in the Facebook group. Yeah, I think that's right. And when Tony speaks, I pay attention. Yeah. Um, the, the synopsis, 
Uh, and actually, the book was published in 79. I didn't realize it was quite that old. The The synopsis is, uh, you know, it's set in a future dystopian America ruled by an authoritarian. And the country holds an annual walking contest in which 100 teens must journey nonstop and under strict rules until only one of them is still standing alive and receiving a prize. The story centers on 16-year-old Raymond Garrity and the team, okay. some good, some bad, some mysterious in his orbit. <laughs> they, it, they really missed an opportunity to say some good, some bad, some ugly. Sure. Does it sound like Stephen King invented the Hunger Games here? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to I'm just going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm certainly going to give Overdahl the benefit of the doubt. Uh, so I'm going to look forward to this. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I, w- I was going <laughs> to... Uh, I talk for a living. You know what? I was already excited about it just because Andre Overdahl was in it. Yeah. Um, so he's one of those directors where I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt until he burns me, and then he'll be dead to me forever. It does feel like he has like 30 things in production that I'm excited for, mm-hmm. but I would like to actually see – You know, I love Troll Hunter. You and I both love the autopsy of Jane Doe. I want to see like his third film, <laughs> and I don't know which one's going to come out of the hopper first. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing everything that that guy's going to be involved in, and yeah. I, I hope nothing but the best for him. So, I'm I'm in like I, like I just said, I'm in until he till he messes me over. Sure. Well, speaking of creators we love, again, moving up the scale of importance, uh, we got news just yesterday that Jordan Peele's Candyman sequel is going to include Tony Todd. Yes. And man, I'm pretty pumped for that. Yeah, me too, man. So I I found this on comingsoon.net. Let me read you just an excerpt from the piece there and read it to our listeners as well if they didn't know. So comingsoon.net, even though it is more than a year away, Jordan Peele's upcoming, quote, spiritual sequel to the 1992 horror classic Candyman has generated a lot of headlines. While some wondered what direction the mind behind Get Out, Us, and the new Twilight Zone will take, Tony Todd, who starred in the original film and its subsequent sequels, announced that he had been approached about appearing in the movie. Here's what he said. Out of the blue, I got a phone call from Jordan Peele, which, by the way, let let that be Jeff Wright reporting to comingsoon.net at some point. Oh, my goodness. Uh, We're still waiting for the contract, but the way he explained it to me was that it's going to be an applause-worthy moment. That's his words. No matter what happens with that, I'm just going to put renewed attention on the original. (laughs) So uh, Nia DaCosta, who I'm unfamiliar with, is going to direct, and she's going to be working with a screenplay by Peel and somebody named Wynn Rosenfield, who I'm not familiar with, at least not off the top of my head. That's a little disappointing. Oh, why's that? Well, I just, I just, I, I guess I just assumed that Jordan Peele was going to direct this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were disappointed. I didn't know when Rosenfield. I'm like, who in the world is he? Tell me what's my problem here. Yeah, how dare you disparage the good gosh darn name of Wynn Rosenfeld? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I always want Jordan as directly involved as possible, but I think it's cool that I mean, this Peele is clearly a guy on a mission. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it, I, I do think it's cool that he's trying to pull people up with him as his star continues to rise. Mm-hmm. So if he can give us. You know, in the NBA, we talk about coaching trees, like this guy coached under Greg Popovich or whatever. Can we get a director tree for Jordan Peele? Wouldn't that be a good thing? Yeah. Hey, hey, man, I'm sorry. I don't mean to uh, let out a long sigh, uh, but it has now been confirmed that Robert Pattinson will be the Batman. Oh, my gosh, dude. Look, can we just put a pause then talking about the goodness of Jordan Peele and Candyman? Yeah. I really thought there was a chance that they would float the Pattinson news out there to see how people reacted Mm -hmm. and that this would get it killed. Yeah. But 
in true DC extended universe fashion, they don't listen to people who know better on the popular level. That's crazy. Yep. Well, I'm going to pretend like I didn't know that for the rest of this episode because there's superhero stuff here that I am excited about. <sighs> yeah. You, you know what? Here's the deal. Uh, this this is going to be my official say on the subject. I look forward to seeing what they do with the character. And I look forward to them proving me wrong. Huh. Well, that's a lot more optimistic than I can rise to. But if they don't, I will bury it on every level that I can. Yeah. I think you're going to have lots of people helping you with that endeavor, my friend. Uh, I just, you know, I, I just don't want to be, you know, so we were all out on Heath Ledger. And Heath Ledger, of course, showed us, you know, how dumb we were. A lot of us, myself included, was out on Batfleck. And I think Ben Affleck did a wonderful job playing Batman. As a matter of fact, I wish that he would have had better scripts and better directors and, you know, better opportunities to play the character. Um, so everything that I've heard about Robert Pattinson lately is that he has turned into a pretty great little actor. So I'm going to be cautiously optimistic and say, prove me wrong. And let's have a good Batman. And you know what the good thing about it is, is he's in his 30s. So if he does well, and if the scripts are right and everything goes well, then we're looking at somebody who could possibly play play his character for the next 20 years. Mm. And that's something that Batman needs. Like the DCEU in itself needs a Tony Stark character, somebody like Downey who can play that character for the next 10 to 15 years. And so if that's Robert Pattinson, then God bless him. And I hope he does a great job. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, man. I can't rise to even that level of I'm open to it. I hate everything about this. I, I would be completely happy if I never saw Robert Pattinson again in a film. And so, I mean, I'll come around if he's good. They they will bring me back in because I love Batman. But I'm not gonna let I'm not gonna open my heart to this crap in advance. It's gonna suck. I'm decided it's gonna suck, and that way I won't be disappointed when it does suck. Yeah, and I mean, I, I get that too. And and here's here's the crazy part about it. I would be perfectly okay if we didn't have a new Batman film for the next ten to fifteen years. Mm. Um, because I mean, I. You never want to like put a stop on anything. You never want to. You never want to put a like a governor on anything. But I just never. I just don't think we'll ever see better Batman movies than the Nolan films. And I know that they weren't like true to the character Batman films. You know. Yeah. Like like Nolan left a lot on the table just because he wanted to make a real life version of the of the character. But. I, I, you know, now, so, you know, we got those, I, I mean, the last Dark Knight movie came out seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Since then, we've seen Batman in three other movies. Yeah, three other movies. Um, none of which were really that great. I mean, Justice League was better than we all expected. Sure. But none of them were ever that good. And it just feels like it's, it just feels like that all DC's trying to do is oversaturate the market. Um, yeah, so I, I'm I'm just I'm trying to be optimistic about it. There's a really good chance that I'll poo-poo it the next time that we talk. But as of right now, I'm 
that's where I'm at. Gonna go with it. I got you. Well, my friend, um, positive anyway, news. Jordan Peele's yeah, working did, more, and Tony yeah. Todd's gonna be involved. Yeah, didn't mean to didn't mean to interrupt there. I just I just saw it, and it said breaking news, and so I I felt that since we're since we're already talking about an evil superhero in this one, we might as well might as well uh, break in and and give the world that uh that news yeah i got you i'm i'm, I'm there for it uh just finishing up on the uh, Candyman news apparently this spiritual sequel is going to be set in the same neighborhood where the legend began uh but the the part of chicago where the cabrini green housing projects once stood that has now experienced gentrification and so uh Peel's going to pick it up and run with it from there and i can't wait for it to happen all right, man. Looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Um, this may feel uh, a little off-brand considering we, we just got taken off by breaking news. But, you know, people listening to this podcast know who we are, I assume. And we still like professional wrestling. And uh, John Moxley, or John David Good, or whatever his name is, uh, he kind of set the world on fire by going on Chris Jericho's podcast and setting the WWE on fire this week. And I thought we should we should just touch on that briefly as, as Mega Potters. Yeah, man. Um, so, John... John Moxley, FKA Dean Ambrose, went on the Talk of Jericho podcast. Um, it dropped on Wednesday. And if you are a wrestling fan, which I know that we've got a couple of you guys in the group, um, he did, man. He, he really kind of he told a story that we all figured was the case. But, man, him going into the detail about it kind of broke my heart. That because most, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, oh no, no, no. Go ahead. You're I'd fine. rather hear your thoughts. You you know much more about this, and I'll I'll just respond when you're done. Well, okay. So th- th- it kind of broke my heart for two different reasons. Number one, I've I've been um, an unapologetic, unapologetic WWF WWE fan since I was five years old. Uh-huh. Um, the WWF is what got me into professional wrestling. Um, I've always been a WWF fan, even when it wasn't the most um even when it has been the most entertaining even when it wasn't probably the right wrestling promotion to watch as a kid um i've just always been a wwf person now i watched wcw um but i mean i was the kid that you know i i grew up dreaming of being a professional wrestler until i realized oh i'm 510 and 200 pounds and i'm just never going to be you know, which now look, that's what they all are. So I just after myself when I was a kid. Anyway, it's beyond the point. Um, the WWF is 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 Disney as far as you know professional wrestling goes, and Moxley really paints this picture of hey, you have no creativity, you have no um, you know you have no say so. You come in, they hand you a script, they tell you where to stand, they tell you what to do. You don't even get to really map out your matches anymore. They've got uh, producers and agents and things like that that do that. So it just really paints the WWF as this, I even hate to say it this way, but as this evil corporation that sucks the life out of you. Yeah. So that was disappointing to hear. But also on a personal level, I, you know, I, I uh, text a buddy, my old Big Al, I text Big Al this week and I said, dude, I'm living that story right now. Mm. Me in the, in the role that I'm in, in the position that I'm in, I'm living that story where, hey, we don't need you to do any kind of anything creative. You stand here, you say this, you do this, you go. 
ego here. And as as somebody who, as pretentious as this may sound, claims to be an artist, I I felt that deep in my soul. And I'm so happy for him to be gone. And you know, I I don't I don't know if AEW is going to be the new WCW or if it's going to even be a major competitor to the WWE. But I'll tell you this, come October, that's where my that's where my eyes are going to be. Sure. And with the WWE continually doing things like um and I mean this is getting in the weeds, but the Saudi Arabia deal after what Saudi Arabia has been doing to be in bed with them for the next 10 years. Um, the whole Ashley Mazzaro thing where a former uh, women's wrestler made some pretty audacious claims and it should have been brought to the forefront more prominently than it was. And ultimately this lady uh, took her own life a month ago when, you know, then you, you hear the John Oliver piece on HBO when you have all that stuff combined together. It's it's hard to continue to give your hard-earned money to a corporation like the WWE because it feels like that they no longer care about their fans. And so I'm going to go with the promotion that cares about their fans. And uh, you know, I I read a I read a uh, preliminary report where like AEW's pay per view only only got like it got less than a hundred thousand buys, like I think ninety eight thousand buys, which I think is good, but I think other people are probably going to think that it's not as good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm hoping that that doesn't derail any of their momentum. Uh, and anyway, I'm I, like I really am going into the weeds on this. I mean, I, I do wish the Mega Potters were still around so that we could go long form on it, but. To get back to the situation, the podcast is incredible and the stories that Moxley lays out and just the fact that you can tell that he is happy. Like it seems like he has this albatross that has been taken away from him and he seems happy and healthy and creative. And I'm pumped that he is in this position. And I wish to God looking at you, Finn Balor, other wrestlers had that opportunity. Sure. Sure. It's hard not to think about him. I guess the thing that was surprising for me is to hear like the worst suspicions that we've all had about how Vince has controlled the WWE and, uh, you know, hampered his most talented performers from delivering, you know, what they're good at. Like, you know, you said it sounds like the WWE is an evil corporation. Mm -hmm. I would say it sounds to me like Vince McMahon is every bit the... I mean, what better term? Washed up, out of touch, over-involved hindrance to his product that we were all sort of expecting or that we were all sort of suspicious he was. Yeah. If anything, what we suspected as fans wasn't mitigated. It wasn't even confirmed. It was amped up. Right. I mean, some of the stuff where, you know, we talked about it on our podcast where I just could not con- connect with the Dean Ambrose character because he was so goofy. Yeah. Uh, you know, him going in and be like, I don't want to work with a mask. I don't want prop comedy. I don't want to be, you know, like nobody would ever say this stuff. It's going to kill my character. Dean knew, man. Mm-hmm. And, or, or John knew. And like the man at, up top wouldn't let it be better. And if if freaking Dean Ambrose doesn't have the the stroke with Vince McMahon to come out and be like, we need to do something different. This is goofy. It's got to change. You know, on and on and on. There's no hope, man. There's no yeah. hope. I, I, at this point, how would you ever criticize any performer who you think is screwed up? Uh, how, how would you ever say anything other than this is Vince McMahon's fault? People who hate Finn Balor's booking. People 
who hate uh, Roman Reigns' push. Just all that stuff really is Vince McMahon's fault. It really is as bad as we thought it would be. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. It sucks, man. Um, it really does. It's, it, you know, there's there's a handful of people that I want to put in bubble wrap and be like, hey, just get out. Sure. <laughs> you know, just just go go to AEW or make your own promotion or whatever the situation is, but get out. You know, I know you're probably earning good money, and I understand that, but, you know, that's, that's the thing. You know, Moxley said, you know, what if they would have offered me $10 million? My home is paid for. My car is paid for. My mom's house is paid for. What do I need with $10 million? Sure. And that just struck me. It's like, that's it, man. This this guy is, he is an artist. He is somebody, and, and I know it's probably weird to hear professional wrestlers be labeled as artists, but, you know, he is the, he's the kind of guy who loves the craft, loves the business, and was getting his love of the business sucked out from him by a, you know, by the evil factory, right? Mm-hmm. To where they treat their employees like light bulbs. They're going to screw you in. Use you for all your worth, and as soon as you burn out, they're going to screw you out and throw you in the dumpster. And so I'm just I'm just happy that there is an alternative program, not only for fans who are burned out on the WWE uh, methods and repetition, and just I mean they 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 do the exact same stuff all the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, with the exception of the Kofi Kingston push that happened this year at WrestleMania, nothing felt organic. Nothing felt real. Um, it all felt cookie cutter. It all felt by the book. Um, you're just you're looking at you're looking at a company that's being run by a 70 year old man who is out of touch with pop culture, who's out of touch with the world, and who's out of touch with his fans. And the worst part about that is is that he doesn't realize it and he refuses to admit it. And so he's going to continue to run that company the way that he wants to until he dies in the chair. Which, I mean, Vince McMahon's in incredible shape. That may be 50 years from now. Who knows? It could be. I, I, again, I just can't get past how bad it's gotten with Vince. Like, even the stuff that, like, Moxley specifically hit on. You know, he said at one point, just as an aside, that's why Vince pays Brock Lesnar a billion dollars to come in and ruin his company. I just thought, man, get out of my head, dude. Uh, it was just stunning. It was just absolutely stunning. And, and we rarely get a glimpse behind the curtain that way in, in about any uh, significant industry. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, we talked before we hit record that Jericho tweeted out, basically, that's the most popular uh, episode in sports on all of iTunes. It's the seven most pop, seventh most popular on, you know, for any episode on iTunes. Uh, I'm not surprised. Man, I'm not surprised because sports entertainment is a legit pop culture artifact of high profile, and a lot of people who pay attention to it, even more casually like me, have just seen a lot of their suspicions and fears confirmed. I, I who knows what the WWE will do in response, but I expect it'll be canned. You know what yeah. I mean? It'll be just something hackneyed and overdone. I, somebody posted on a message board that Goldberg was going to be on SmackDown this week, and I thought if that's true, that's exactly what it would look like. You know what I mean? Yeah, they they would trot something out of the dust and say, "Oh yeah, y'all." used to care about this back in the day here it is well because i mean their main their main event um match for their latest journey to saudi arabia is the undertaker versus um goldberg 
Goldberg is working again? Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. All right. AEW, the time is yours, man. We are all waiting for you to give us something better. Go right ahead and do so. And, hey, here's the thing, man. If you uh, – I don't know if you've had the chance to watch anything from Double or Nothing. I've watched – I watched the pre-show, and I was able to catch the last three matches, which uh, have been you know, heralded as the, the three best matches on the card. Those three matches were better than anything I've seen on the WWE proper in a long time. That Cody versus Dustin Rhodes match. Um, if if you are if you are a wrestling fan like I'm a wrestling fan and you've been with the product for a long time, uh, or even to the extent of if you're even if you're not a wrestling fan or even if you if you haven't watched the product for a long time, but you have a brother or a sister and you're able to, you're just able to, to um, feel that moment. And, you know, it's not, it's not a five-star match, quote unquote, as far as like work rate and things like that go. But as far as a story, it's five stars all the way. And again, that's just something that with raw or SmackDown, I haven't felt in a long time. Now NXT still is my favorite wrestling promotion. And I, I don't know if AEW will, drag me away from that and I know that NXT is under the WWE umbrella so it's kind of weird to almost hypocritical to say like I'm not going to watch WWE anymore but um, but yeah as far as like the main roster goes it's it's been a long time since I felt that and uh, so I, I highly recommend uh, tracking it down you know I know it was on pay-per-view I know it was a, a pretty large sum of money uh, one that honest to goodness I myself couldn't justify spending the money to do but there's also and I mean <laughs> I hate saying it like this but there's a lot of ways that you can find those matches and I would track those down and watch them if I were you alright fair point well again we, we took some excursions here uh, on this episode so far into Batman and the land of Vince McMahon so let's put a bowl uh, a bowl how about we don't how about we put a bow on the horror reporter and get into talking about a horror movie yeah let's do it up man pull the string alright time to pull the curtain on bright burn hey we started the episode off this way bright burn it kind of lends itself to that doesn't it yeah hey also just to add to your affliction on this Robert Pattinson Batman thing it will be a trilogy of movies Derek, I, I'm, I'm not going to let that thing harsh my buzz anymore, man. Whatever. That's, that's you know, fair. Uh, I'm just trying. I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to be the guy that softens the blow for you. Yeah, it, there's there's no softening of that. I mean, Star Wars got ruined, and I guess now Batman will, and maybe I'll live long enough to see it get recovered. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, in the land of Brightburn, we, we talked about it at the beginning of the episode. Uh, you're pretty positive about this, right? Uh, yes, sir. Would you... I don't know. Would you say that it being a comic book horror hybrid or superhero horror hybrid was a strength? Or do you think the movie would have worked if this kid was just possessed by the devil or something? Huh. You know, I really hadn't thought about that. I think that one of the reasons I like it so much is because, obviously, um, we talk about a lot of nerdy things on on the show, and, and superheroes is one of them. Uh, I enjoyed the evil look into what would happen with Superman. Yeah. So I don't know if this movie would have worked had the kid just been possessed. Okay. Although I guess I mean in a way he is kind of possessed, right? Like yeah, that spaceship or whatever seems to be. Hey, 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 hold on, hold on. We're contractually obligated to bring our boy. You know Mark what? In. I don't care. Screw Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> I'm done with it. 
Mark, I'm sorry. He doesn't mean that. You know how daddy gets when he drinks. <laughs> you know how daddy is when he only has three hours of sleep. He's trying to do a marathon recording session. <laughs> Come on in, Mark. It's okay. Watch, Dad. Dad's happy. What? No. Spoiler alert. All right. Now, what were you saying about a spaceship before before we were in spoiler territory? Yeah, dance monkey. <laughs> you stupid. Um, so anyway, the uh, you know what? Now I've lost my train of thought. So just go ahead and talk, Jeff. <laughs> Can I make you depressed? Brightburn yeah, sure. has the exact same rating on Letterboxd as the Hole in the Ground does. Oh, shut up. It's 31 points lower on Rotten Tomatoes, according to Chris. Oh, anyway. We're living in a fallen world. We sure are, buddy. Oh, my goodness. That breaks my heart. Um, yeah, go ahead. No, just the point you were making is that the ship possessed the boy. Right. And you're right, as usual. Well, I mean, I don't know about all that, but... Um yeah, so I, I mean, you know, I guess in a way this is a possession movie. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, yeah. I was coming around on that because I, I, I've told a couple of people already, this is a legitimate horror movie. Surprisingly so. Uh, mm-hmm. It was much more gory than I expected, for instance. Mm. Holy smokes, yeah. And a lot of the stuff the kid does, we're used to seeing in possession movies or haunted house movies, you know. So I think this movie would have felt really derivative to me if I had only seen it as a another ghost story movie, another possession movie, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. But because it is so subversive, and I know that's a weird thing to apply to a major box office relief release, but I'm an old school comic book fan, and they were so careful to really replicate the Superman mythology that it felt really sinister to see them direct that towards evil ends. And I think yeah. that the hybrid nature of the movie really enhanced it for me. Yeah, I so I'm gonna I'm gonna say this, and, and this will probably be an unpopular opinion. Uh, this movie was a little bit of a letdown for me. Oh, okay. And and, there, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I just had such good, I just had such big expectations for the movie that while I still think it's it's a great movie and one that I would highly recommend, and I don't want to uh, give away the bag already, but um, one that that I would highly recommend and, and one that I plan to watch again. I guess that my expectations were so lofty that nothing was going to meet them. Sure. And uh, and so that's on me. Um, but besides that, though, man, I mean, this is probably one of my favorite movies I've seen this year. Okay. Well, I don't have any you know, substantial disagreement with that. Um, he- here's why this movie, I think, worked for me more than you. I needed this movie to be proof of concept. I'm sure there are people who know cinema history better than I do who can say, no, actually, the first, like, scary superhero movie was XYZ. And and this will chap your hind in, I know, but it may turn out that history will see Split as the first superhero horror movie. I don't know. (laughs) Right. But, you know, we have talked on this podcast before. I've been sitting around waiting for this new Mutants movie that they just the other day announced is pushback yet again. It's going to come out a full two years after it was originally slated to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, I was sitting around waiting for it because it's supposed to be a horror movie. I think Split told me that there was a, a possibility of doing that well. I think Venom strongly suggested you could do that. And I needed Brightburn to land, no pun intended, so that people could say, oh no, this is actually something that can work on the big screen. And I don't think it's killed the box office returns. I think it's already made its budget back plus some. But if this thing just makes enough money money for them to say, let's play with this a little bit further, which I think this movie is good enough to do, then I'm very happy with it. And of course, I may be caping up as the 
horror uncle. Uh, but nonetheless, I just needed it to work. And when it worked, I thought, absolutely, great. Open this door further now. Does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and there's been some there's been some talk about um, a evil like superhero universe uh-huh. and that Bright Brightburn might be the catalyst towards that. I'm all for it, man. You know, if we get an evil Aquaman or an evil Wonder Woman or an evil, I don't know, Flash or Cyborg or um, I, Captain America, even like I think those are fun stories to tell from the evil point of view. Yeah. And if they're all done as well as this one, I'm all for it because uh, you and I both know how schlucky, if that's even a word that movies like this can go, if not put in the hands of the right people. Sure. Well, and I'm, I'm with you. Like we've seen a ton of that, like evil version of uh, a beloved character, you know, the, the injustice league in DC, um, even like the character, like Lobo is kind of a, a dark version of Superman. Uh, Deadpool has made a lot of money being a, uh, a darker critique, you know, although it's very lighthearted and funny, nonetheless, it's just doing stuff that kind of subverts comic book traditions. Um, I'm, I'm ready to watch a whole universe like this. Yeah. So can we just run through real quick? Tell me what I missed on this. So I, I'd like to I'd like to highlight the ways that this film is so faithful to the Superman tradition. Okay. So I'm gonna run through a list, and you tell me what I missed. Uh, the the most obvious thing is that these are literal Kansas farmers, like Ma and Pa Kent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're a childless couple. A, uh, a a mysterious midnight landing of a spacecraft reveals an infant child uh, that, the, that the couple is able to convince their community they adopted through traditional means. They put the spacecraft under the floor of the barn. Uh, they take the swaddling clothes that the baby is found in uh, in the spacecraft and like use it for his bedding. You know, he sleeps under a blanket uh, that looks just like the blanket he was swaddled in. Mm-hmm. And then when he makes his mask, he makes his mask out of that, which, you know, Superman in the like 70s, the reason his costume didn't get torn up is because it was made out of the material that he had arrived in in the spacecraft. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I guess, though, I mean, I guess you could draw attention to, like, there's a version of Lana Lang to be his crush, but that eventually becomes a, you know, that goes twisted. Um, From crush to crunch, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Nailed it. They do the alliteration thing, right? Clark Kent, uh, Lana Lang, Brandon Breyer. Mm-hmm. Brightburn. Brightburn, yeah. Uh, what else? What what am I missing? Uh, I mean, obviously he has all the same attributes that uh, Kal El has. You know, he's able to fly. He has superhuman strength. He's faster than a speeding bullet. Heat vision. Uh, heat vision. Yeah, he's impervious to you know weapons and things of that nature. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty faithful. Again, the the character's been Superman has been rebooted a, a thousand times, but the common elements that have stood the test of time and shown up in multiple iterations. Uh, this Yarostrovsky guy or whatever, who's the director, and James Gunn and Kenneth Wang, they really got it. They really, they really struck stuck straight to the script. Yeah, for sure. You know, and and um, I assume that the writers Brian and Mark Gunn are James's brothers. Um, I, I assume are, are somewhat related to him. You would and have to if so, so, yeah. Yeah, and if so, man, what a talented family that that is. Sure. You know, like James Gunn obviously is uh, a wonderful director that has really matured over the years to become uh, you know, one of my favorites. Uh-huh. And then you've got Sean Gunn, who is the 
Uh, he plays he plays Kraglin in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, but then he's also like the stand-in for Rocket Raccoon. Yeah, and that's right. Comes up with a lot of like the motions and you know things that they do for Rocket in that movie, or in those Avengers movies and in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. So you know you combine that with these two guys and just what an amazingly talented group of of kids that come out of St. Louis, Missouri. One hundred percent. And just playing off of that, I think uh, David Yarovsky, again, my second failure pronouncing his name, who directed (laughs) this, he's not done a lot. And so I thought it was interesting to see him tap for this. And I thought he did a good job. I really felt like and he wasn't just emulating Superman, but the look of this movie felt a lot like Man of Steel to me. I don't know if you agree Mm -hmm. with that or not, but Mm -hmm. that's what it felt like to me. Um, He he did a Ask Me Anything on Reddit and I was reading through that, getting ready for the episode. Um, he said that he just tried to turn James Gunn into Yoda. And, he, you know, he said, I just soaked up everything he had to offer. And he said, even, you know, when, when James isn't around, I feel like I have James as a force ghost living in my head. And I, that's a that's the right move, brother. Like, if you got a chance to sit under that family, uh, James in particular, you really do want to help yourself as much as possible by, by soaking up all that, that Gunn has to offer as a creator. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Was there any particular favorite scenes in this movie for you? Uh, man, yeah, I don't know if I would even label it as a favorite scene, but I think there's one scene that sticks with you. Okay. And um, for me, that's where Uncle Jeb or whatever his name is gets his jaw ripped off. Yeah, man. That was the, you know, when I when I mentioned earlier that it's a legit horror movie and um, there was, it was a surprising amount of gore. When his jaw drops down and then he tries to pick it back up and hold it on. Mm-hmm. That took that movie just to a whole new level for me. I mean, I'm again, I'm the guy who hates gore, but it worked super well in that moment. It, it yeah. told you the stakes. It told you how sadistic Brandon had become. It told you what he was, you know, causing these people to suffer. Uh, kudos to them for that choice. Yeah. And, you know, for me, that was where I went, oh, Oh, this is a full-fledged horror movie. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, and you can even say that you, you should probably say that about the diner a scene. But, man, that I just, I, you know, you, you saw some of the diner scene happen in the trailer. So that wasn't as shocking. Well, yeah, when Homeboy's jaw comes off and he's trying to hold it up, and I was just like, oh, oh, I wasn't I wasn't ready for that. Absolutely. So this, uh, specifically with that diner scene, this movie is, in my mind, a total validation of my policy about trailers. Mm-hmm. So I watched the first teaser trailer for Brightburn mm-hmm. and then stayed away from everything else. Yeah, I did too. Okay. Well, I don't wonder if you had the same experience. I went into this movie thinking that we would have a big chunk of the movie where it was basically Brandon's evil nature being countered by Ma Kent's loving nature, trying to call Mm -hmm. the best out of him. Mm -hmm. And so I thought this was going to be a moral conflict movie. And as this movie went forward, uh, I had the best experience of being surprised that that was not the case. Yeah. So, like, specifically the the diner scene you're talking about, um, I thought, oh, gosh, the the 
kid just wants to scare this woman into leaving him alone. Mm-hmm. And then when the when the glass breaks, I think, oh gosh, he's goofed up and he's hurt her. What what's going to happen here? Is this going to be the thing where you know they realize we've got to do something because as a child lashing out with his powers, he can he can really hurt people. And when I realized that was not the case and that he was just stalking her, uh, it was an epiphany. But again, so much of it happened off screen. We don't you know we knew he pulled her out of the freezer, but we don't know exactly what went down. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can you you still have a degree of wondering what what exactly is this movie leading us to when it's uncle time? Uh, all those doubts are removed. Yeah. Particularly when the kid gets down and draws his symbol in his uncle's blood. Yeah. So don't watch trailers, people. It makes the movies better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. I I do want to ask you this question. You you sort of brought it up. I guess it goes back to with great power comes great responsibility, right? We've been ingrained in that almost for the last 20 years. Sure. But why the freak didn't they try harder to instill like a better moral compass in this kid? Yeah, I mean, I think the I think the film does a pretty good job of giving them the, the mom pocket. Oh, my gosh, there's a lot more going on here than we thought. Mm-hmm. And so I think they were probably trying to convince themselves he was just a normal kid. And then by the time, I mean, like, it makes sense to me. Dad is out ahead of mom. They, they make Banks kind of the perfect embodiment of the never stop believing mom. Right. Um, by the time it becomes clear things are going wrong, it is happening at such a fast pace that they don't really have any resources. You know, they, they basically tried to raise him like a normal kid and not like a nuclear bomb. Right. But by the time they realize the reaction's already started, they, you know... That it's happening too quick and too powerfully for them to do anything about it. It, it. That would be my answer to your question. I don't know what they would say, but that's yeah. my guess. Yeah, I guess it just, you know, that's the thing with Superman is he, I guess he displayed those traits earlier than what Brandon does. And so Ma Pa Kent knew, like, oh, we've got to, you know, we've got to instill a good value system into this child. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's, you know, I guess that's where the difference is. Yeah, with with Brandon, the the switch kind of flips one night. You know what I mean? Like he goes to bed just basically a uh, a pubescent child, but the the ship activates and programs him, and there there's not a lot of warning. You know, he's still hiding his abilities from his parents for a long time. Yeah. Um. And and, and again. Some of the criticisms I've had of Zack Snyder's stuff, in a lot of ways, I almost wonder if this isn't Gunn saying, "Okay, Zack, let's let's take your you know your paradigm and, and let, let's actually take it where it goes." So if the if the guy is just ambivalent about humanity and doesn't know what he wants to do in terms of relationship to them, uh, why don't you have the guts to say, "What if he turns out and he doesn't like humanity or he wants to dominate humanity?" You know, mm-hmm. um, in, in this one, Ma and Pa Kent aren't the upright moral stalwarts of comic book tradition and the Greatest Generation. Um, these are definitely good people, and they're productive members of their community, and they've got Brandon surrounded by other good people. But like. She's clearly a, uh, uh, you know, a cool mom who's trying to hang on to her youth. And dad, you know, dad's dropping a couple F-bombs. Like, you'd never see that with mom and pa Kent. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Gunn's probably trying to be more quote-unquote realistic or whatever. But it's also not, like, even if Brandon landed among Kansas farm folk, he didn't land among the very best of the Kansas farm folk the way Clark Kent 
does. Sure. If that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. So these are just normal people trying to do a good job being parents. I mean, they, in some ways, that's a strength of the movie. Like when dad is trying to have the puberty and masturbation talk with him, mm-hmm. uh, it's as every bit as awkward as that would be in real life, right? Sure. And ham-handed. And anyway, um, these are just, I don't want to say normal screw-ups. These are just normal people. They're not, <laughs> they're not moral exemplars. And it yeah. shows up because Brandon... Yeah, Brandon Flips. Now, having said that, if he did get raised by Ma and Pa Kent, do you think the programming from the ship uh, would would be thwarted by that? I feel like it, it just flipped a lever in his brain. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that, that's probably true, too. But I don't know. I just I feel like I feel like if if you ingrain someone with a good moral code, it's going to I mean, you're going to fight it more. Sure. This this kid didn't fight anything. He just he was just like, oh, I'm better than everyone, and I'm going to do exactly what I want when I want, and no one can stop me. Literally, no one can stop me. Yeah. You know, and I think if if maybe you get that with great power comes great responsibility. Talk maybe in you know you wrestle in yourself going. I don't you know I I, and I mean we get that at the end right when Elizabeth Banks' character tells him, hey, you're always my, you know, my gift. You're my special boy. I love you. And, you know, we see him relax. We see him, you know, go into his mother's embrace. And then, of course, she makes the ultimate mistake of trying to kill him, which doesn't bode well for him. And and I think that's finally the the nail in the coffin. You know, that's what sends him completely over the edge because he even says, I want to do good. Sure, and then when point. he reali- and then when he realizes that his mother's betrayed him, oh well, if the person who's told me that they were going to love me regardless, you know, and the whole world is going to do that to me, then th- that's how the rest of humanity is going to treat me as well. And now they all have to pay. Yeah, uh, that's that's pretty good. I, that's one of the things I want to ask you about. Like, was she wrong in that moment to try to put him down? I don't blame her at all. Yeah, I think- right. She's had, you know, she's realized what she's dealing with. Yeah. But it does seem like she sealed the planet's fate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I feel like that there would have been a better way of going about it. Sure. And maybe, again, maybe that was where we were all misled. Like maybe there was some vestige of the old Brandon in there. Um, so let me take you back to, you know, where he is clearly stalking his aunt and going to kill her before the uncle mm-hmm. shows up? Mm-hmm. So. That scene initially was, I don't want to say confusing, but I had questions about it because I thought, well, why didn't he just kill them both since they're both yeah. home? Why does he try to hide? And, I, you know, it was a cool scene to see him, like, levitating in the shower so his uncle wouldn't see him. But, right. you know, I, I thought Gunn probably did more. So what I initially thought was he would, you know, we were told several times in the film that he's pursued, like, he's super intelligent. Mm-hmm. So what I figured he was trying to do was pursue this policy of containment. You know, he tells the aunt on the front porch, you can't talk to the sheriff. That can't happen. And she blows him off. And so I thought like, okay, he just wants to, he's trying to cut the growing list of people who know about him off so that Mm -hmm. he can remain private longer. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But now considering that ending scene where mom betrays him, I wonder if we're not supposed to read that as he was trying to only kill the people he had to. Like there was still some kind of inner conflict within him mm-hmm. to, to say, like, maybe I, you know, I'm still going to do this. I'm still going to ultimately end up ruling this planet, but I'm going to go about it in such a way that only the people who are direct threats to me are eliminated. Yeah, that's how I looked at it. Okay. okay. I looked at it as he only targeted people who, like you said, were the direct threats. Um, and then when mom 
made the ultimate betrayal, then he went, oh, okay, well, then that's it. I'm just going to kill everybody. Sure. You know, and, and you go from that, I, I could protect the planet to these are weaklings who, I mean, these are ants that I could crush with my boot. Yeah. And that's what I'm going to do. Speaking of these are weaklings who I can crush with my, my boot, um, did you, I'm assuming so, knowing who you are, but I, I felt like they telegraphed um, the 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 plot when they had Brandon talk about wasp species that lost the ability to nest mm-hmm. and how they force other wasps to raise their children. That I was watching it with our mutual friend Jared. He didn't pick up on that, and so maybe it wasn't as obvious to everybody. But I, I really wish they had done that more subtly. Yeah, you know, or done it in the last third of the movie rather than the first. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's that's one of the the crazy things about modern storytelling. I think is there always seems to be one scene in every movie that goes, hey, this is a big blinking light that's going to foreshadow what's to come. Uh And that was theirs. You know, that was the one for them. Yeah, I wish they, I wish they'd handle that a little bit differently. Um, I do too. Now, we've already talked about some of the Superman callbacks. Um, For the, for the shock value of watching a woman end up with a glass shard in her eye or uncle's jaw falling off, uh, was was dad's death more or less powerful for, for you in the movie? I, it was the death that I I knew was coming the most, but I was dreading it the most, too. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because uh, I like David Denman as an actor, uh, and I always enjoy seeing him and stuff. And I just... That was another one that I kept thinking, like, man, you're you're going about this the wrong way. Like, yeah, the kid's different, and you know he's different, and you know he's an alien or whatever. But if if you just, you know, if you just zigged instead of zagged, nothing like this would have had to happen. Sure. And so it, you know, it, it bummed me out to see him to see him go. But I mean, it was inevitable. They just there was too much conflict between the two of them um, for him to come out of this thing alive. Yeah, I, you know, again, speaking of stuff they telegraphed, and he's like, "We're gonna go camping, spend some time." I thought, "Oh yeah, of course." You know, this yeah. is this is execution. But I I did think it was a little bit contradictory to the way that you know, Dad has been on top of this in a way nobody else really has been. Um, he's been seeing through. He's been seeing what his kid can do. I just thought it was contradictory that he didn't understand that a that a rifle shot to the back of the head wasn't gonna take his kid down. Yeah, it was the dumbest death. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I kept thinking like, dude, you've got to realize that if this kid is doing these things, a buckshot to the back of the head ain't going to kill him. Exactly. And again, he's been the one on top of this, you know, way before everybody else. He's got to realize that if he could do what, you know, if Brandon could do what he did to the uncle's Bronco and the uncle's face. Yeah, the, the old 30-06 isn't going isn't gonna to bring this one down. Yeah. But having said that, the heat vision death is a pretty cool visual. Yeah, it was. And one that probably needed to happen, like you need to pay off that heat vision thing. Mm-hmm. And so it was it was cool to see. <laughs> I mean, cool. And, you know, in the sense of 
son murdering his father. Cool. <laughs> sure. In the comic books, you know, we've we've had several Superman goes evil. There's the Red Sun, and I think we've talked about that. Obviously, the Injustice video game, Superman goes evil after the death of Lois, and there's been a whole comic book series spawned off of it. I think Superman uses heat vision in that one to kill Shazam. Uh, by the way, how dare you? Um, <laughs> but, you know, like Man of Steel had that with Zod. You know, that climactic scene where they ruin Superman um, has Zod threatening innocence with heat vision. So, like, mm-hmm. this stuff is it's in the atmosphere. But, man, for whatever reason, the visual anyway really worked for me in the theater. I thought, man, that is. I mean, I guess it's because it's eye to eye. Like, he's staring into his dad's face as he melts his face off. Yeah. Well, Derek, I mean, I, I'm I'm a fan of Brotburn. Would would uh, would you be up for that Michael Rooker, uh, you know, hinting at the end where there's I don't know seven of these movies, or would you like to see one more movie where they're all present? I mean, what what would you do with Brightburn going forward if if you could? That's a really good question. I you know I wouldn't be I wouldn't be upset about seeing more of these movies. Um, I wouldn't be upset to see several more of these. Uh, I will tell you this. I'm all in for anything that Michael Rooker does. Sure. And so when he when he popped up at the end of it, I squealed like a little girl uh, to the extent that the people behind me didn't understand why I was so happy. <laughs> Which I was like, well, you're idiots because that's Michael Rooker and – you should know your you should know your actors better. Sure. So having said that, I I would be in favor of more movies if they were going to be like this one. Uh-huh. Um, but if it's less content or, or you know a, a lesser movie, then I don't know if I'm going to want to sit through another five or six of them. So, so maybe don't do a standalone evil Aquaman. Yeah. Uh, but let Brightburn kind of set you up for most of it and show these malicious creatures coming together in some kind of unholy alliance. Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm all for a Legion of Doom type movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. In a lot of ways, that's exactly, you know, this feels like revolutionary, I guess, in some sense, because they are they made Superman bad. But this is basically an origin story for all the people Superman fights. We just don't get to see him doing these twisted evil things right. before he shows up to be punched to death by Superman. Right. I guess, really, that's... That's what I would do with this film series if I had control of it. Sony has some resources. This is distinctly their property. Um, There are other comic book characters who are clearly supposed to be clones and copies of Superman. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, there's a lot of those just in DC. Uh, Shazam being a superior version to Superman, but who started out as a clone. Um, but there are versions of those that are fairly popular in independent comics and other other comic properties. And there's one uh, there's one named Prime who who came from I think Image Comics from the planet Amazon. <laughs> sure, this is how Amazon took over the world. Um, I think he's out there. There's another character who Dark Horse maybe or maybe I've got him reversed. But anyway, the, the character's name is Supreme. And a couple years ago, Alan Moore took over Supreme and he. He straight up told Supreme stories as if they were Superman stories. Okay. Um, Starting with, like, the Golden Age stuff and bringing him all the way to the modern day. Um, Mm -hmm. So... I would I would love for them to go get one of those guys. You know, they buy up the rights to Prime or Supreme or whatever and bring him in to fight Brightburn. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm cool with it if Brightburn powers through him. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it would be it'd be the best possible version of this guy getting to fight Superman. 
the uh, yeah. the other thing they could do there's a there's a Captain Marvel knockoff in the UK that uh, also Alan Moore got a hold of and took him super dark uh, at least his protege super dark okay and now now when you say Captain Marvel do you mean Shazam Captain Marvel sorry. or yes yes so okay. uh, the Shazam Captain Marvels were being reprinted in the UK just panel for panel oh but they, wow yeah they renamed the character Miracle Man and when Captain Marvel stopped being published when uh, Fawcett folded its doors they took Mr. Miracle and took him in a new direction I'm sorry not Mr. Miracle Miracle Man and there was a Miracle Man Jr. and Miracle Man Jr. goes crazy and kills like a whole city and if you you know if you had Brightburn in the next one starting to form a uh, a Legion of Doom but then he you know the big fight is Supreme or Ultra Man or whatever it's going to be then you have a uh, like an older version of Brightburn who's been on the planet or a nearby planet longer and is more in mm-hmm. control of his power and there's like an alpha dog fight I would be there for that too yeah I know I held the light there for a few minutes. So uh, anything you weren't able to comment on, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that proposal or anything else. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm down for that, man. You know, I would actually like to see a a few different movies where they try to bring in some people, and you know, you can't you can't bring him down. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think that would be fun as well. So yeah, I'm I'm down for this stuff, man. I think it's I think it's a good concept. It's a fun concept and. I look forward to seeing. Yeah, yeah, I look forward to seeing uh, what's going to happen with this, and I, I, you know, I'm happy to see um, evil. Like I'm, I'm. That was the wrong way of phrasing it. I'm happy to see horror and superheroes come together. Sure. And I I think that this was, whether you want to say it's the first or second or or whatever, I think it's the, I think it's a really good way to start out or continue. You know, if you want to say that um, that one movie is the the way you go with it. Hey, either way, this is the fullest expression of the evil superhero uh, in a movie that we've got. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm in, man. And uh, I do want to ask one question. I know we're trying to wrap up here. I do want to ask you one question. What the crap happened to that girl? So that's really interesting. You mentioned that they kind of throw her away. You know yeah. I mean? Uh, to, to me, it was the it was the the biggest weak spot of the whole movie. Sure. What was her name? Katie or Karen or something? Caitlin. Caitlin. There it is. And I'm assuming that's like Caitlin Carter because sure. everything is going to be alliterated. Um, yeah, I, I, I felt it was kind of ham handed to be like, I'm going to show up in your bedroom, hand you flowers, tell you everybody's going to worship me, and then fly away. She seemed more important. Yeah. But the uh, there are reports that there was a scene cut from this movie. And this came from Yaravesky himself talking to Collider. Okay. Also, well done on the pronunciation. Thanks. I think I'm. I think I've used three distinct pronunciations each time. Um, he had an idea, but he never filmed it. And he said in their, you know, kind of brainstorming sessions. I'll just read you his quote. We talked about Caitlin, and we had a scene uh, where it ends. The movie ends with her in a lab fastening a robot arm on her broken arm, and her just ticked off. Oh. Oh, yes. Give me that. Yeah. So if she becomes the leader of a human underground resistance front who's using technology to augment, like kind of like a Batman, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm here for that, too. I mean, she she would hate Brandon Breyer. He he maimed her, uh, sexually exploited her by spying on her in her bedroom, and then killed her mom. So go for it, Caitlin. Yeah. She, I mean, so far she's the she's the uh, a more righteous Winter Soldier, at least in, according to the director's vision. Let's keep going with that, man. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, dude, I'm all in on that. Yeah. That'd be a lot of fun. Sure enough, hey, would. Hey, man, did uh, I think we've talked about this before, but if not, did you ever watch James Gunn's movie Super? I don't think I did, man. Okay, so Super came out in 2010, I think, and it stars Rain Wilson. And I would recommend you watching it. It's uh, it's it's. I want to say it's a comedy. Uh, which I know sounds weird because, you know, Rain Wilson, we always will look at him as Dwight Schrute. But it's it's a really clever, interesting movie that I felt like was different than anything that I was seeing at that time. Okay. Okay. And so the reason I bring that up is because when Michael Rooker is doing his big conspiracy theory thing, um, there is – in the background, there is a character that looks a lot like – the Crimson Bolt, oh, cool. which was Rain Wilson's uh, superhero in that. So I just wonder if Gunn is trying to tie in – I mean, if we're trying to get like a James Gunn cinematic universe. Sure. Dude, sign uh, me up, really man. Cool. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe Rain Wilson's character could be the – the mentor figure to Caitlin's scrappy band of resistance fighters. I'm, I, dude, I'd love all that. Bring it on. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think it'd be great. Is it time for our questions, my friend? Yeah, I think so, man. I think we've, uh, we probably ought to put a bowl on this one and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, get to it. So Jeff, right. Scale one to 10. What do you, what do you label on this one as? Man, this was a solid six and a half for me. It's yeah, it's it's above perfectly acceptable. It's what I needed it to be. I'm a fan. It's not you know, it doesn't. It's not changing my world, but uh, yeah, everything I needed. So six and a half. Yeah, I agree, man. I think that's where I would stay at it as well. Uh, did we see something scary? Uh, you know, in um, in the sense of me being a guy who watches a lot of horror movies that do the same stuff here, I don't. I didn't find myself particularly frightened. But I think the scene where he's torturing his uncle and playing with his blood is enough for me to say yes. I also felt a real sense of being unnerved and uneasy in the mm-hmm. final teardown of the farmhouse. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a super cool scene where he no just takes the sheriff out like, you know, turns him into a wet spot. Right. And then as he's flying through the house and mom's trying to get to the barn and all that stuff, I found myself generally uh, uneasy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, horror uncle again putting my cape on for the for the horror genre. I'm gonna say yeah, I saw something scary. Nothing horrendous, but scary enough for me to say yes. Yeah, yeah, I would agree, man. I think the the diner scene is unnerving. Yeah. I think that obviously the the truck scene with Uncle Noah is the scene that everyone will be talking about in that movie. Um, and but also with the. Um, with the, with the dad in the forest, like I felt a general sense of uneasiness through that whole thing, and I just remember, I just remember saying to myself as they're packing up and leaving, I was like, David Dimon, you better kiss that woman because it's gonna be the last time you ever get the chance, <laughs> yeah. and you know, and then you're just on edge the whole time that they're there, so. Yeah, man. I think you know we we re- <laughs> we review a lot of Drek on this show. Uh, matter of fact, you can go on Patreon.com and find out more about that. But 
I, yeah, I definitely think that I, I say that to say that we review a lot of direct on this, and and a lot of those times, you know, we claim that those those movies are scary, and I think that this is scarier than than a lot of those. So sure. Hey, last little nugget to drop in here: Is it okay with you if I just headcanon that uh, Denman's character is who Pam's ex boyfriend Roy grows up to be? <laughs> is that cool? Uh, I, yeah, that's fine. Well, that's what I'm doing then. I mean, it's not truthful, but come on now, whatever. Come on now, you do you, Jeff. You gotta, you gotta, gotta go with me on this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Kyle, it's Roy Kyle Breyer. That's just yeah. we just didn't know all that. I mean, he I'm deserved, done. He I'm deserved done. to die <laughs> for sure. Deci- deserved to have his <laughs> brains melted out of the back of his head. Yeah, it's what you get for keeping us away from Jim and Pam. You son of a. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm, I'm done. Uh, thanks for All listening. Right, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think we should just cut it there. <laughs> you deserve to get your brains blown up. Uh, yeah. So, okay. Let me ask you this question, Jeff. What are we watching next week? Um, I'm going right now, as soon as I end this, to go watch Godzilla and then Maul. Okay, so you are doing the double feature. I am. I meant to do a triple feature, my but my wife wants to see Rocket Man with me, and I'm happy to have her along. So, of course, uh, yeah, I mean, one of those two, right? If Ma's reviewed well, Godzilla has not. I don't trust the critics, and so I figure mm-hmm. it's either Ma or Godzilla or both. How's that? Okay, sound? okay. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I probably will not have enough time to watch both of them this week. Sure. Um. So. Let me get back to you on that. Sure, totally understand. Let me try to find a let me try to find a time where I can go watch at least one of them, and we can review them and and, and do the thing. That sounds like a plan. Cool. All right, man. So next week we'll either do uh, Ma or we'll do Godzilla. Are you going to try to watch Swamp Thing? Yes. Yeah, I'm going to try to fit that in sometime this weekend. Okay, I'm, I'm going to try to do that as well. Um, sometime, sometime this week before we record again, at least watch the first episode, and maybe we can talk about that as well. So, lots of good horror content coming your way in the very not so distant future. Uh, until then, remember you can hop on Facebook, get on a Facebook group. We saw something scary. Uh, remember to support Jeff and his other thirty-seven podcast adventures that he has going, um, from the Shazam cast to Pop Culture Quorum Deo um, and the Sub Deos from uh, from that podcast as well. And uh, hey, remember I'm coming to. I'm coming home, coming back to Sparta, Tennessee, three weeks from today as of this recording on June the 21st at Bilbrey Farms. You can get your tickets on uh, at eventbrite.com. Just search Derek Zoo and Friends, and that should put it up. I uh, also would love for you to check out my website, DerekZoo.com. I just revamped the whole thing. Uh, about a week ago, and as of this morning, put up a new blog entitled Your Comfort Zone is Killing You. Mm. And so I would love uh, – Jeff, I'd love for you to, to read it for sure, but I'd also love for our listeners to read that as well. Okay. I'll definitely check it out. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, okay, that's enough shameless plugging. Uh, well, one more. He's at right, Jeff. I'm at Derek Zoo, and we are desperately out of time. The tape machines are rolling, and we will be back here next week for some more horror goodness. Until then – This is your friendly reminder for the week to stay away from clowns and sewers. 
linemen with turkey pasters and white people with teacups. We'll see you guys back here next week. Don't make us drink alone. Bye-bye, man.